Good morning, church family and friends. That was a great video, wasn't it? God works in our lives, and your life is an unfolding testimony to that, if you let him. At one time, I said that if someone, writes a, a tr- someone in our church writes a book, I'm going to read that book. Uh, but then I discovered there were some prolific authors in our church, and I realized I don't have time to read all these books. At Community Grace, we have one such author of 11 books, Mark Eckel. Uh, and I have started reading his books, and I have finished my first one. And I'm so glad that I did read the book, uh, Reborn, a novel based on the two lives of Chaplain John Boren. And I wanted to give a very condensed version of John's relevant story to begin tonight. John's family has been a part of this church family for many years. John grew up as the son of an evangelist, but as many kids growing up in a Christian home, rather than give his trust and his life to Christ, he chose the path of least resistance, just living good enough to avoid much discipline, and he was spiritually lost. When he attended Bible college at Moody Bible Institute and was required to serve in a church ministry, He chose teaching kids Sunday school classes, and he was confronted with an awakening to this reality that he was lost when a fellow student worker asked him, why are you doing this? You're teaching things that you don't even believe. In response to this realization and other pressures, John left college and hit the road to run and search. Bad habits that he secretly began in college became less inhibited, and they escalated. Now, he had met Patty in college, and their developing love story was interwoven with the other aspects of his journey. That led to marriage with Patty, a wonderful blessing from God, though rather than leading John to faith in Christ or stopping his destructive behaviors, His secret life in those behaviors only intensified in even more sin and an even deeper secrecy. His particular vices were alcohol, pornography, and theft, stealing. And he did all three in excess, lying about it all. God's grace finally broke through, as it often does. He got caught, and that landed him in jail. The church prayed for John and flooded him with visitors, visitors that he didn't really want. He tried to make the visit stop, but one got through anyway and prayed with him this prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray for John. Continue to work in his life as he is here. Break him and change him. Prepare him for the work you have for him. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In John's jail cell, God began answering that prayer. Here's a quote from the book. He looked at the bars that held him captive, a reminder of what sin has done to him for so many years. In a way, he felt trapped, and somehow he knew so many of the men in the prison would still feel this way if they were on the other side. Their imprisonment would be experienced in or out of jail. He'd been in bondage for years and understood many of these men, like himself, were still in chains. Now, the Gideons had a ministry there in the jail and brought in a guest preacher to chapel, Pastor Eugene. 
an African-American preacher from Fort Wayne, and John attended the chapel service. As Pastor Eugene preached from John chapter 3, listen to this from the book. Then something happened that caught John's full and undivided attention. The pastor preached loudly and with passion that brought drops of sweat down from his brow. Then boldly, John heard him say, You have been born, but Jesus said you must be born again. You must be reborn. John stood to his feet without a thought. What did you say? John asked in an emotional but direct voice. The room became silent. John stood alone, looking into the eyes of the old pastor, as a wide smile emerged across the preacher's face. In his preacher's voice, he cried out loudly as his words echoed off the cinder block walls. You have been born, but Jesus said, you must be reborn. In his enthusiasm, the preacher pronounced the word born as Boren, John's last name. And John, for the first time, it made sense to him. Something clicked. He had been John Boren. Now he indeed did need to be reborn. John gave his life to Christ on that day and was indeed given a new life from Christ that day. And the stories in the book after that moment of him confessing his sins and restoring the damage he had done and growing in and serving Christ are spellbinding. And I highly recommend that you read it. They're not perfect, his steps from there, and so they're relatable. But they make you cheer and see firsthand how God can work in our lives. For John, it led him ultimately be, to become the jail chaplain, through which, along with many other ministries, God allowed him to change the lives of countless people. And I know some of you are watching right now. And tragically for us, but gloriously for him, John died of cancer a few years ago. I never met him. But in his life, he inherited what Jesus says everyone who believes will inherit. Complete forgiveness, a new life, power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, a calling for our lives, and the wisdom of God's word about the steps to take toward that calling for your life. And that wisdom and those steps, that is what last week's sermon and this week's sermon are all about. Our sermon series is in the book of Colossians. It's titled, Christ is Greater Than All. I mean, all the universe, all the powers, all the problems, all the things that you face, all. Christ is greater than all. In Colossians 3, verses, chapters, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 is our text today. And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles there with me now, if you haven't already. Or if you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. You can just keep your eyes on the screen, and it will be there. The theme today is, what's your story? That was one story of Jesus working in a life. What is your story? How have you been brought by Jesus from spiritual death to spiritual life? Have you accepted his gift of salvation that only he is able to offer? 
We said last week that one of the ways you'll know that you have been given a new life from Christ is that it comes with a new nature, and that comes with new desires. You desire to grow in Christ and be with his people and learn more about him. You desire to put off the old you and to put on the new you that Jesus has for you. That's one way to tell you've been given the new life. Last week's message was titled, Out with the Old. And today, In with the New. In with the New. We are a new creation, and he gives us clear instructions about how we should live now. That's what we're going to talk about today. Again, the theme for the day is, what's your story? What's your story? We open with John Boren's story. I want to share one more story before we get started in the text, because I really want you to start thinking about your story as we go. So here's one more story. This is the story of a man from my previous church in Washington State, a friend named Gus Lee. Gus is such an accomplished and successful businessman and author who speaks for major corporations and organizations and churches on topics such as courage that it's hard to believe that his story began in a broken and impoverished Chinese immigrant family in an American ghetto as a self-proclaimed coward. He had every odd stacked against his life. But when he met Jesus, Jesus turned his life around. Jesus does this. And hopefully he will yours as well. Many things could be said about Gus's story, but the one thing that stuck out to me was when Gus was explaining one time that the thing that caught his attention the most about Christianity, the most about Jesus when he was first hearing about Jesus and drew him in, was Jesus' call to behavior modification. That means the call to change our lives, everything about us. He said he didn't understand why many Christians were embarrassed about Christ's commands to change our lives. Like, the Bible's just full of all do's and don'ts, as if that's a bad thing. He didn't understand. He said, I mean, doesn't that just make sense? Doesn't that just prove the majesty and glory and worthiness of Jesus, that his followers' lives would be changed so much, so radically, in such amazing and great ways? To him, that was the most attractive thing about The Christian faith, this drew Gus in, and Jesus changed his life. That was his story. That is what our text, again, last week and today, is all about. What is your story? Who has Jesus been in your life so far? How will your life be changed today and going forward? What's your story? Our text today, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, gives us two main points. Now, last week's message had two main points as well. They were, we are made new, so put off the old you. And second, we are made new, so put on the new you. Tonight's points are this. Put on clothes of the new you. And second, put on the priorities of the new us. That's where we're going tonight. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. First, put on the clothes of the new you. In verses 12 through 14, 
Paul begins to tell believers what to put on by reminding us of our motivation to do this at all. Okay, so he's recapping a lot of the stuff he's already talked about. He's reminding our motivation. Let's look at how verse 12 begins. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So he opens with a truth here that should drive us forward. Okay, look at, look at how he's connecting with us. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is us because God chose to save us. He chose to make us holy, and he chose to love us. Because of that, your name is written in the book of life once you've trusted him for your salvation. You are God's beloved. You have a purpose and a Lord, Jesus Christ, to follow. You are a new person. This is all awesome. That's Jesus. This is the new you. And a new identity requires new actions. But the thing is, we can't just figure out what those are all on our own. It doesn't work that way. So we have to look at Scripture. This is what God has revealed that we need to know. And last week, we looked at what rags of clothing that you need to put off. Okay, we're done with the old you. And, and you can look back at the text from last week to look at those. And now Paul tells us the new beautiful clothes to put on. That's today. It's a great metaphor. Everybody likes to get some new clothes, right? I know I do. I know my kids do. And we like to uh, put those on. Well, Paul gives us a bunch of new clothes to put on. So let's make sure we're putting these on tonight. And they are in three categories in the first three verses of our text tonight. He says, put on clothes of goodness, put on clothes of graciousness, and put on clothes of God-likeness. What are these clothes that we need to put on? Let's find out. The first group was clothes of goodness. Let's read verse 12, where he writes, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is what Christ is like, and this is what God has called us to be. So let's look at each of these the first two I'll put together, compassionate hearts and kindness. These are related terms. Now, the heart, of course, represents the deepest part of yourself. So we need to be compassionate to our core towards other people. Sympathetic, empathetic, full of grace and mercy. Compassionate. The ancient world in which Paul was writing to the Colossians was not a compassionate place. If someone then got a disease of some sort, they were outcast from society and left on their own, discarded. The gospel comes into a society and brings compassion and changes the world. This is what we should be all about. Hurt people, sick people, injured people, Elderly, orphaned, widowed, disabled, outcast, imprisoned, or just different people from us are often, even in our day, outcast to some degree, treated poorly or left alone. As we're following Christ, what we need to put on, compassionate hearts of kindness, we run to those people. And we enjoy when people do the same for us as well. We stand in the gap for each other. 
Christ followers, compassionately find opportunities to help and to serve however we can with kindness. That's our calling. How about bullies? Here's what I teach my kids about bullies. Bullies are mean because other people have been mean to them. So what do you think they need? Do they need you to take revenge on them or to hate them? No, they need compassion. They need kindness. And you have the opportunity to show them something that they need very badly. Now, I tell my kids, you have to be careful. You have to be careful to do this. And you can involve mom and dad or, or somebody to be responsible and careful in that. But you give them Christ's love. That's what they need. Repay evil with kindness. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is following Jesus. Well, the next clothes that we get from Christ's closet are humility and meekness. Paul says these two are related as well. Humility, that's the most valued virtue by God. Here's just a couple of verses that so clearly say this. Philippians 2.3, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. This is the way to, to live. And Christ was the epitome of that humility to the point of dying on a cross. Follow Jesus. 1 Peter 5.5 5 is another one it, which says, the Apostle Peter says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I love this quote. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. See the difference? Humility is not thinking, oh, I'm great. And it's also not saying, oh, I'm crummy. I'm worthless. That's not, neither of those is humility. Humility is thinking less about yourself at all. Humility is thinking more about God and about other people. That's what God wants us to put on. Then he says, put on then patience. Uh, Long-suffering is another word for patience. Uh, I like this one. What do we do when we follow Christ? We suffer long. This is not something we naturally do well. We talked last week about the conflicted natures that we have, the human fleshly nature and the spiritual nature that wants to do good, and they are at odds with each other. We do not want to suffer long in our human nature. God says, put on these new clothes. This is Christ-likeness. It is a fruit of the Spirit, patience. It's something that we choose to be and work with the power of the Holy Spirit to do in our lives. And we can be as we follow Christ. And we'll make him look beautiful when we suffer long. So that's verse 12. That's put on clothes of goodness. Paul continues, verse 13, put on clothes of graciousness. These are some more clothes that we need in our wardrobe. Let's look at verse 13. All right. Bearing with one another. That's a tough one. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. These are difficult 
Bearing with each other, bearing with one another means to endure every kind of persecution. Every kind of threat, every kind of injury, every kind of indifference or disrespect somebody shows you. Every broken promise, every failure to come through, every betrayal, we endure them in a Christ-like way. This is Jesus calling us to be like him. You might not think that you can, but you can. You can endure. You can bear with people. Jesus gives you that power, and it's glorious to him when we do. Because we've been told this is what it is to change our lives and follow Christ. And out of that comes another of the biggest marks of being a Christ follower, and one of the hardest things there is to do, that is forgiving one another, forgiving each other. Let me just read that last part of verse 13 again. Let this sink into your soul here, okay? And, and change the choices that you make towards people who have hurt you, who have betrayed you, who have offended you. Verse 13, that last part again says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you of everything, of everything. So you must also forgive. Jesus laid down his life to forgive us. And he calls you and me to do the same. And oh, the peace and the release of pain that he gives every time we simply forgive. It's a beautiful thing. We are healed. And he is so good. So Paul reaches a crescendo here at this point, a climax of his list of new clothing in verse 14. We're getting the picture here of following Christ. How beautiful it is. The third set of clothes are clothes of God-likeness. And that is where he says in verse 14, Above all of these, above all of everything I've said so far, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul concludes his putting on metaphor with this one. This is the final article of clothing that completes the outfit. It says, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, like the belt or the coat or whatever it is that just completes the outfit of being Christ-like. Now we know what it's like to be a Christian, what our calling is. These are the clothes of God-likeness because, because the Bible holds love as, as God-like, as the most God-like moral quality there is. That's why he finishes with this one. So put on love towards each other. What does that look like? In the church, that creates the strongest kind of church that we could possibly have. And we want to let love just ring and, and rule and reign among us. God has put together this wonderful body of believers that are totally different from each other, that hurt each other, that let each other down, and we choose to love each other. And it's a beautiful thing and a strengthening thing. Put on love towards people in the world outside of the church. What does that look like? It means that you'll do whatever it takes to bring Jesus to them. That's true love. And serve them and care for them. And now with that in mind, with these clothes and with that result of love in mind, the binding into perfect harmony, Paul applies this next in the next few verses to all of us together as one, as one group, as his body, as the church as Community Grace Church. Okay, he's going to apply this to all of us together now in verses 15 through 17. Point one was put on the clothes of the new you. 
the way that you and I need to be as we follow Christ. Point two is put on the priorities of the new us. And here are the priorities that we have from Christ for the new us. Let's see what he instructs us to do, to put on as the priority in our lives. What is the church? The church is a gathering of people whom Christ has made alive through his sacrifice, by his grace, through our faith. And now he's working through us as a group all these wonderful things in, that he's doing in the world. So a healthy church is an amazing thing to be a part of. There's nothing in the world like the local church when the local church is functioning as it should. That's a quote that I love. And Paul recognizes that here. He gives us three priorities as Christ's people. And you can put numbers next to them in your Bible if you have it open. You can put a number one by verse 15, a number two by verse 16, and a number three by verse 17. And these are the priorities of us as the church. So let's look at these priorities together. Verse 15 says, number one priority here is let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. All right, peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Let's, let's talk about that. What is that? Okay, just before Jesus went to the cross, remember what he said in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And what kind of peace did that prove to be in his life as we read what happened next? To Jesus, it proved to be unstoppable, unwavering peace all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. That's in Jesus. Now, in believers, what does that look like? It looks like unstoppable, unwavering peace to all who claim it. He offers it. And he gives it to all who claim it. It says here, we have been called in one body to the peace of Christ. So what does that look like? What does it look like? Well, we see it lots of times in the New Testament. I just have a couple of examples. Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, if you want to open up Acts chapter 7 and, and look at this, you'll see that he was brought before the council and stoned for preaching about Jesus. Right? How did he respond? Well, it says his face shone like an angel. It says he looked up and he saw Jesus. And it said he peacefully received his death, asking God not to hold this sin against his unrighteous executor. That's an example of the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Another one is, remember when Paul and Silas were jailed for preaching about Jesus, their backs were bleeding and their feet were locked in the stocks. And what were they doing in that dark and dismal prison in Acts chapter 16 in the middle of the night? What were they doing? Singing. That's right. And the whole prison was listening to them sing. Totally at peace. In the peace of Christ. Christ's peace. It's a personal peace. Jesus wants you to have it. He wants the church to enjoy it and to be what offers it to the world. So when we are burdened with anxieties or fears, and we are, when we are torn in conflicts, which we are, instead of allowing sadness, frustration, or anger, to dominate us and get control of our lives, 
Look to Jesus instead. And know that he's going to give you peace if you ask for it and claim it. Just remember Jesus. Remember him on the cross. And remember that the man who wrote these words that we're studying tonight, the Apostle Paul, wrote while he was chained, awaiting trial before Nero, which eventually led to his execution. Paul had every reason to complain to the Lord. But instead of worrying or complaining, he showed an example of peace and thankfulness. Notice how many times he keeps repeating, and be thankful that you can have peace too with whatever you're going through. You can. The peace is yours if you claim it from Christ today. And that's the first of our priorities in living the new us, letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And I hope you begin to experience that today. I know I'm claiming it in my life in this time. All right, the next priority for us is to make the word, wisdom, and worship dwell in us. Let's look at verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, because he gives us all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love the word dwell here. It's like living in a house, which we are doing a lot of these days, right? We are dwelling in our house a lot. So this is a really perfect metaphor uh, for this time. Dwell. We know what that feels like. And we need to move God's word and his wisdom and his worship to dwell in us, in our hearts. We need to move them in to our hearts, and they are in lockdown in our hearts. So we have a lot of ways to get the word of God into our hearts, and this is top priority for us. This is what he's chosen primarily to change our lives with, to change the world with, to reveal himself to us, to give us all that we need to know, and to guide us. So there's a lot of ways we can get that into our hearts, to dwell there. We can read it, of course, read it through it in a year, read it twice in a year, read it once in two years, whatever the pace that works for you, to read it on a regular basis. Uh, Study it. You can study it by yourself. There's lots of resources. We live in the information age. Or you can study it with a group or friends. Preaching. We'll keep offering that every week, okay? Uh, Memorizing it. The word have I hidden in my heart. Meditating on it teaching it to others. They say that's where something really becomes yours is when you teach it to others. Listen, the more diligent you are with the means that God gives us to grow, the faster and greater you will grow. Worship also includes music, which Paul picks up on here. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let's talk about that. Again, the theme of the day is, what's your story? And I had a conversation with Tristan Spooler, who's right here. Hi, Tristan. Thanks for being in our very empty room tonight. Uh, We had a conversation about this verse, and I wanted to share his story, what he said about this verse. Tristan is Amy, our worship director. Tristan's her right-hand man here and is on the worship team. And they lead us well. Now, with that in mind, listen to these words. This is what he said. 
I started wondering why this mention of different forms of singing fell within this specific chapter of Colossians. Paul is talking about dying to the old self and putting on the new self and living as one body in the church. I never really cared much for singing, so I didn't understand why Paul would consider it such a significant part of church. Then I spent a year in, worship, in a worship school called Sons and Daughters, and my thinking on this started to change. I slowly recognized how singing is an important part of corporate worship. For me, it's been a key part of me dying to my old self. My old self hated singing. I didn't want to risk letting people hear my voice and deal with that embarrassment. Nowhere else in any social gathering did anyone ever ask me to sing. But God smiles when I do it as an expression of my love for him. I've had to put on that new self, and I've grown in my love for God because of it. I've gotten to be part of awesome experiences, some during our Sunday morning service, where the body has been built up as a result of singing the message of Christ, the gospel, through song to God. I love singing to God now. Revelation describes that we will spend eternity praising God with hearts full of joy as we sing. It makes sense that as I continue to die to my old self and put on this new one, my heart becomes more aligned with that spiritual and eternal reality that one day we're all going to love to sing. I appreciate that. Kristen, that's a very good perspective on this text. Now, not everyone is going to go from hating singing to being a worship leader. But that is a story of Jesus transforming another life. And that's what it looks like as part of Kristen's story. Jesus changes lives. In fact, Kristen is a part of our worship team that is providing a series of online worship experiences uh, that has been all this last month, and we're going to continue doing that. Uh, we've worked a schedule, and I wanted to encourage everybody to tune back in tonight for a hymn sing. It's called a live hymn night, a live hymn worship night. It's tonight at 7 o'clock, so tune back in for that tonight. Uh, there's a lot of variety in these, and I know many people will be very excited for that tonight. Uh, we're we're going to be there, and we're looking forward to it. All right, so that's the second priority of putting on the new us. Make the word and wisdom and worship dwell in us. Paul's got one more. But first, actually, I want to make one more announcement. I'm going to work this in here because this is a great opportunity for all of us, Community Grace Church, to join and do this very thing with all of the churches in the greater uh, Costco County area. The annual National Day of Prayer is coming up. May 7th, and like everything else, it's going virtual this year. But I think this is going to be great, and I'm looking forward to participating in this too. I'm going I'm to ask our entire church to put this on your calendar. May 7th, 7 o'clock, we're going to get together with many other believers and churches in our county uh, for this time to do this very thing, to worship together, to pray together. And that's a special, that's a special thing with the greater body of Christ. Plus, our friend Tiberius Rata is the, is the keynote speaker, too, that night. So that's just an added, added bonus for us. So put that on your calendar, and uh, that'll be a good time to do together.
Now, of course, the Christian life is not all about studying and praying and singing. That's not all there is. There is much else to do. So Paul gives us his final priority for the new us, and that is this. Do everything in the name of Christ. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So life is filled with things to do, lots of things, and countless decisions that we need to make. Some of them are very hard things to do. Some of them are very hard decisions to make and very big decisions to make. Some of them are just the thousands of little routine things that we do and decisions that we make every day. Paul gives us a rule of faith here to apply to all of them, all of the big ones, all of the little ones, the things we do, the decisions we have to make. It's a simple formula to help guide us, and that is this, that everything we say, everything that we do, all the decisions that we make, link them to Jesus and make sure that they are worthy of his name. That's a great rule of thumb, a formula, a rule of faith to live by. This is what I call the good kind of DUI. It is doing everything under the influence of Jesus. Okay, you're not going to get a ticket or thrown in jail or a court date for this kind of DUI. Well, you might in some of the world that's hostile to Christ, right? And that day may come in America too. Okay, it could. Maybe someday it will. Who knows? But that doesn't matter. We do everything in the name of Christ. Everything. And we'll have the peace of Christ no matter what happens. So one test here by living by this rule of faith is when you are asking yourself, should I do this? Should I go there? Should I indulge in that? That party, that movie, that concert? Should I become close friends with that person? Should I start this relationship? Should I pursue that habit? Should I respond to this situation with those words? Whatever the thing is that you're doing or the decision you're making, respond to this situation. Here's the test. The test is, can I make that decision? Can I do that thing? Can I reply with those words? in Christ's name, and make him look beautiful in it? Will people watch you and say, I've been watching you, the decisions you're making, the things you're choosing to do, in the name of Christ, that makes me interested in Jesus. That's a great test to live by as we're living a Christ-like life, called according to his purposes. The life that he's bought and given to us. This is great instruction, and I, and I pray that we'll all commit ourselves to it right now, today. In the last two weeks, we've looked at things from our old life to put off, and we've looked at things in our new life in Christ to put on, and you've got all the tools, and now you've got some instruction, and you've got the challenge. So let's do this together today and for the rest of our lives. Here are two next steps to put that in motion today. Number one, I want to challenge you this. Don't hide or wait on what you need to put off. Don't wait anymore. 
What's your story? What do you need to put off? Don't keep hiding what you've been hiding. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. No more hiding it. Expose them. You know, time after time what people find is the thing that gets them out of some bad habit or some sin or some destructive behavior or some bondage, things that they can't beat. You know what it is? It's telling someone or getting caught, getting found out. There is often no private solution. God's solution is relationship. All right? Other people telling someone, praying to him, bearing each other's burdens, accountability among brothers and sisters. So on your communication card online, there is a, a space to check for confidential prayer and comments. And I'm just going to ask you, don't hide that thing that you're hiding anymore. You can click that confidential spot and type it in, and only the elders will see that and be in prayer for you. And you can let us know if you'd like more follow-up on that. Take that bold step of obedience and resolve today. Whether it's big sins that need to be dealt with on this kind of level or little sins that, need to, that we need to confess and put off or put to death, don't wait any longer. Let's do it right now. Let's have victory in our lives. Give them to God today. This is your story, and this is how it changes right now, by you putting those things off for which Jesus already died. And then the second is put on Christ and Christ-likeness today. Have you trusted him for your salvation? Believe in him today. This could be the day of your salvation or very soon. Let us know if you'd like to talk more about that or if you've, if you've prayed and taken that step and trusted him today. Commit to being like him in all the ways that he's shown us today and, and then will continue to show you and show us together as a church. This is your story, and this is how it changes right now. So you think right now and pray about what it is that you're dealing with and need to put off and need to put on right now as we close in prayer and as we sing this final song. Again, this was right in our text. This is how we respond, how we worship, how God works in us partly is how we sing together. So let's take this opportunity right now, just after I pray, to sing together, and then we'll do our closing after that. Lord God, you have spoken in your word, and it has changed countless billions of lives. And we want to be among those numbers who believe in you, who are made alive by you, who are transformed by you. It's messy. We can't do it alone. It takes humility. It takes long-suffering, and it's glorious, Lord, as you are. That's the whole point, is to glorify you with the glory that you share with us in these things. So I pray that you'll find us faithful. I pray that you'll give us the Holy Spirit's power and motivation uh, to respond, each and every one of us, as we sit in our living rooms or wherever we are watching this, hearing this. Spirit, speak to us, we pray. And now we'll speak to you as your spirit speaks to us as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.